0: Hello and welcome to the Digital Insights Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Australian Government's digital profession, keeping the Australian public service digital ready. I'm Fleur Anderson and I'm your host. Today, I acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on the lands of the Ngunnawal people, the traditional custodians of the land. I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that request to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening. Welcome back to the Digital Insights podcast. Last time, we spoke about using human-centred design principles when designing government services and keeping the human experience the number one priority. Today, we're going to shift gears a little and meet with two senior leaders in digital government in today's episode, leading a country through digital. Today... I'm chatting to Randall Brujo. Hi, Randall. Hi. <laughs> Randall is the head of digital profession and the head of the Simplified Trade System Implementation Task Force. And joining us from Estonia is Sim Sikut, the government chief information officer and deputy secretary general for digital development from the Republic of Estonia. So it's Friday morning in Estonia. Tira Himakust, Hello. (laughs) So Estonia and Australia are 15,000 kilometres apart. You guys are pretty good friends. So I'd love to find out, how did you meet and how did you get to know each other? Randall, do you want to start?
1: Yes, happy to start. And thank you for having us today. Um, Sim and I met I think it was nearly four years ago I'd just started in the CEO role with the Digital Transformation Agency Um, and uh, Seam Wiley might talk it down as a bit of a a rock star globally when it comes to digital in government. And so I'd sent Seam an email and said, "Um, I'm just starting in the digital government role for the Australian government and I'd love to touch base. So Seam and I have uh, been in touch ever since. Um, built a friendship and been involved in a whole range of uh, fora, OECD digital government exchanges, and uh, we've been able to share our experiences. And um, I've even been able to get over to Estonia a couple of times and see him introduce me to uh, their prime minister. So it's it's been um, a, a very fruitful and uh, and close relationship. <laughs>
0: I think you're absolutely right. I have watched uh, Sim online. He is the rock star of digital government. Uh, so, how have you found uh, getting to know uh, a country all the other you know side of the, across the world um, and getting to know Randall Sim?
2: Well, exactly as as Randall said. I mean, uh, I think the very first time we actually. Properly, you know, chatted was when Randall took that journey of fifteen thousand kilometers and and was here for an event uh, we had started to host every autumn, right? So it must have been a digital summit or around that, uh, right? And though, uh and look, I mean, just more widely, we we all are really peers in this profession, right? So it's oftentimes that look, whoever is the Doing your sort of job in another country, you immediately have a connection, anyways, and and so look if uh, if if somehow you then have a click beyond that, like yeah, I'm happy, exactly, like, around on a friend, then you know it's only better. So my my point being that we often meet exactly in all these sort of circles and these relationships build up because you know there's always the, the thing to share from uh, picking each other's brains.
0: And so. From picking each other's brains, what have you learned, the two of you, about any similarities that you've noticed between Australia and Estonia? Uh, Sim, maybe I could ask you first.
2: So what it comes down to is that fundamentally the similarities and the challenges, isn't it? So we are, all of us, working on this thing called government. <laughs> and I mean in many, many ways the stuff you do if you try to you know transform the government or, or bring digital in or bring more digital in, in our case. So I mean the fundamental challenges in sort of the setting and the scenery is the same. Yeah, I mean there will be differences in elements like you know how does the concrete governance setup work out? What's the way to getting a decision done or you know what's the way to organize for delivery? But fundamentally the, we're up to the same things. Like how do you solve for the identity? How do you get? How do? You, what are, what are your uh, levers in terms of your mechanisms to ensure everyone's on the same page? I mean, so that's sort of that's that's the common ground in terms of the solutions. They might be different, and they have been in our case, and that's that's okay. But we can even sort of you know take up the principles and and you know borrow these sort of policy learnings in a way your management the leadership learnings from each other, and we have, and and the other thing well what's What's been sort of intriguing to me, and you know why you know it was no brainer to to pick up Randall's call in a way, is to say that the the ambition behind the DTA and and the sort of you know willingness to change the game, I think that's very much a commonality.
0: That's so interesting, Randall. You actually went over to Estonia. Was there anything about um, the country or the people that uh, struck you as a little bit familiar?
1: I think uh, we are very similar culturally. I think uh, friendly, welcoming, um, very creative, uh, a very good sense of humour. You know, it's it's a very natural relationship. I think that we have between Australia and Estonia, um, but also very motivated, very determined, um, and um, as Sim said, as we come together with other countries as well as we meet with OECD um, leaders, as you go around the table, the kinds of topics that you discuss are very common. The um, the point that seemed made about digital identity, how do we identify our citizens and provide services to them? Uh, how do we maintain trust? How do we coordinate complex um, service delivery in a way that seems simple from a End user perspective. All of these concepts are entirely common, and we've been able to work together across a number of countries to be able to accelerate the way we we deal with these issues.
0: Mm. And so, learning from each other. Um, so, one of the things is that I found really interesting is that although we don't speak the same language, uh, Estonia and Australia are quite similar in that um, you know. They consistently ranked highly in terms of quality of life, education, and digitisation of public services, and you know the the growth in technology companies. What I'd like to understand from you, Sim, is you know what what are the differences here? Obviously, uh, Estonia has come to become a world leader in digital government and digital services from a very different position to Australia. Uh, I just wondered if you could talk us through, you know, what started it.
2: Sure. Before, that, I just remembered another commonality we have. We, I think both of uh, our people, we really love a good Barbie, don't we? So, <laughs> we <you know>. do. <laughs> anyway, um, the student Story, how we started going digital and why we have it on this track is really that we don't know any better. <laughs> so, so for us, the context is we are 1.3 million people. Okay. Um, so the context, when we were starting to reboot the whole country in nineties, you know, uh, going to market economy, going to democracy, I mean, all that, then that happened to be a time when, you know, internet was just taking off and going mainstream and this whole digital way really starting. And so it was a chance for us to leapfrog in that sense. And, it was really first an experiment to see, like, how can we pull off this challenge of being a fully fledged country with very little resources, like, uh, we also don't have a little natural, which is to, to build and we really have those few people we have. And so um, as Internet and technology was taking off, it was an time to say, hey, but look, can that actually allow the government to, you know, create more bang for the buck? And at the same time, you know, for the whole country to really, you know, pull more than we otherwise could. And these experiments worked. So that's what it was, you know, the first things like uh, getting tax office to, uh, to not just have digital declarations, but really rethink the whole process and, you know, make it easy to pay taxes. Immediately more taxes started coming in. So we saw the fruits and that became, that made it into a conscious, like a strategy or effort. So that was a a hope and a dream and, you know, a hypothesis behind it It turned out to be true and then it became a deliberate effort. And so that's that's been our journey ever since. Uh, From there, taking it to all corners of public sector, taking it to all domains of work we do and uh, and, you know, from users point of view, really, to the point where uh, almost anything you can do online. So that for for almost anything, there is digital service, at least in terms of bureaucracy. So the only exceptions are to you still have to show up to get married and divorced. So sorry for that.
0: <laughs> and so one of the things that is a little bit different. I mean, Australia is very much more geographically isolated uh, from other countries. Yet you cannot say the same about Estonia. Yet you have got an interesting, uh, uh, I suppose, position or stance around how you store data. Um, Can you talk us a little bit about that, about how you operate in Europe?
2: Yeah, well, so the overall picture is that um, we have realised very early on that uh, if we want to have, you know, Digital services. If you want government to rely more on, on digital tools of all sorts, well, you've got to have the trust of people. Because you know, without trust, then you know you don't have users. If you don't have users, you don't get any impact for even if you do stuff digitally. So that has led, I think, all of Europe and Estonia especially to realize then look, we have to really manage for the trust. And and uh, and in that sense, to put in place the frameworks, the legislation, the famous GDPR, right, uh, General Data Protection Regulation. But also in Estonian case, we're going beyond that to be on that really sort of build out the tools and practices that sort of, uh, you know, increases trust among people. So stuff like... Um, we can see as a feature in our national um, citizen portal, or let's say citizen gateway where I can see what happens to my data. So I can have a, you know, review my log, who has accessed my files for example, or, or the data about me or same thing in digital health record and so on. So my point being that it's not just this sort of theoretical principles of trust. We actually created features or brought it down to feature and sort of, you know, process and technology level for you to have an oversight what happens to data. But fundamentally, Fundamentally, we go for the uh, sharing by default option. So, in our case, we 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 adopt uh, we protect privacy not by limiting use, but allowing for effective management and control of use. And that's uh, what's been really instrumental to really enable a lot of the the push for digitization that that has happened.
1: And there's strong controls as well, Sim, isn't there? In the event that um, yes. there's misuse of data or yes. um, access that's not. Authorised, then there can be criminal penalties,
2: can't there? Exactly. We had, uh, you know, some hospital nurses sacked or or or, or fined if they looked into VIP data they shouldn't have, right? Or uh, and and we and another thing, there is that So we not only the penalties, but we are deliberately blunt and transparent when stuff happens. If it's let's say a cyber incident happening, or you know somebody abused privacy access and so on. So. To first of all show the point and you know have it as a deterrence against the next ones but also to show the public saying hey we don't hide from you and so you know by the transparency we try to really create this trust
0: and you created a, a data embassy as well didn't you as part of that building of uh public trust
2: well to a degree so that embassy in a way is a bit of different tangent in the sense that um in Estonian case from systems resilience point of view more um, so, in a certain case, we don't have paper backups. <laughs> so, if stuff happens, obviously, yeah, you keep, you know, uh, data in different data centers and you backup stuff and so forth, but fundamentally, there is no paper back uh, backup anymore. Uh, so, if stuff really hits the fan, and I mean, in our neighborhood, it can be, you know, man-made conflict, uh, as we unfortunately see just, you know, a few borders down from here. Uh, it can be, you know, some sort of natural disaster happening. So, what happens then? So even if we have data sort of backed up and everything sort of, you know, in the country here, ultimately, we might need to have it somewhere else abroad as well in a cloud environment allow, allows that. But we wanted to make sure that we also have a jurisdiction and everything about that. So that, that meant that essentially what we did with Data Embassy was to say, Hey, we will have the extension of our government cloud abroad and we will have it on the Vienna convention. So basically it will be our jurisdiction applied there. So we took the, Legal concept brought it to the the cloud and data center sort of world, and and then uh, have more resilience for whatever happens here. We are able to keep the country running because country runs digital anyway.
0: So that's so interesting. So Australia obviously is geographically a lot larger, and we have you know bigger population, but. We are also uh, working with our neighbours in a different kind of way, aren't we, Randall, in terms of um, helping in the region?
1: Um, So, you mean capability building in the the region where we're supporting other countries in the region to build digital capability? Yes. Um, And um, I think that is a similarity that Mm. we do have with Estonia in that there are partnerships that Estonia has formed and, in fact, in some of their... Um, commercial organisations that they built. They have um, moved into the global realm in providing capability that uh, um, other countries need. Cyber security is a really good example of uh, uh, where Estonia has strong capability that they share. Yeah. But in Australia, we are um, investing in supporting developing nations in building digital skills, in building... Um, government services that are um, user-centred, but also to um, Seam's point exploring opportunities to provide that resilience that um, countries that are geographically isolated in the region uh, desperately need and may not have the internal capability to deliver themselves.
0: Mm. So would you say that we are now a paperless society uh, on the same scale of Estonia, or we're we um, a little bit
1: further to go. I think we're a long way off. <laughs> um, Estonia's built their um, digital government from the ground up, and mm. I think Seem the, the the marriage and divorce are the two. I don't know if you, you can do a mortgage um, as well digitally. You can. Digitally. Know. You can know. You so, know. Uh, and this is how fast it's moving. I mm. think the last time Seem and I spoke, it was still mortgages you needed to do um, uh, physically, where that has also moved to digital. So. plus of all of the public service interactions in the Estonian government are digital. Many of the high volume um, interactions in Australia are digital, but we are moving much more toward providing a broad range of services in a digital form, because in order for us to be able to deliver the efficiencies. And there's efficiencies within government, but there's also economic efficiencies. I think the digitization in the Estonian context is valued at about 2% of GDP. Um, in Australia, there is a lot of economic benefit in any country for that matter for digitization. And so Australia is driving very hard to build uh, many of the capabilities that Estonia has had for many years. So uh, digital identity, uh, the data integration and sharing um, capability such as um, uh, Estonia's X Road, um, the capability to be able to um, automate decision making and provide greater control to the community are all features of uh, what we're trying to build in more joined-up uh, services.
0: So, are you saying that the economic productivity gains that Australia's, you know, get, can get is a lot more than what we're at at the moment?
1: Oh, indeed, and uh, um, in in my new role in the Simplified Trade Implementation Task Force, we're analysing the cost of paper in the trade environment. And there's been modelling done which indicates that uh, the cost of paper in the cross-border trade environment is about half a billion dollars a year. Really? It's incredible. And by digitising more, it creates opportunities for economic efficiency.
0: I guess that's that's right. I mean, when you're you're doing um, transactions these days, it's always shocking when you do have to fill out something on paper and get it to a, a physical office. It seems very antiquated.
1: Yes, and in fact, what we're looking to do is to to, to leapfrog the let's make a paper form digital, because that still inherently has the inefficiencies associated mm. with multiple reporting where you're dealing with one agency for a given purpose and you provide them biographic information and other um, uh, information to support the service that you're consuming. And then you do exactly the same thing with another organisation where the ultimate objective is more as with Estonia. Once you've told the government about yourself, then you can simply then provide updates as you need to.
0: Mm, Okay, so I suppose the the first question then is, as we discussed in another podcast, do we even need a form uh, as part of the design of when you're trying to simplify?
1: And in many cases, uh, the answer to that would be no. Yes. And we do have examples in Australia where there are digital services, where there is no requirement for any um, formal interaction. When you go and visit a doctor and you hand your Medicare card over, as they process that, you're receiving a service, but you don't complete an application form. Mm. Money just turns up in your bank account as your um, rebate for seeing the doctor. So that's an example of um, a service which doesn't require any um, application as such. It's it's an invisible service, if you like.
0: Well, we like it when we don't have to do anything and we get money in the bank account. (laughs) So just going back to some of the well, some of the minor differences. Uh, I mean, obviously, you mentioned before, Seam, that uh, you didn't go for your morning jog because it's uh, November over there and it's extremely cold. Now, I did read that saunas are a big thing uh, in Estonia, particularly in the business world, and that you're, you mentioned this in terms of a, a case study of how it can work with digital government. Can you just explain to... Us Australians who don't have saunas as a, their usual daily life, like how you can see this working.
2: <laughs> so, um, so sauna or sauna. Uh, I mean, uh, it's it used to be a cl- place for socializing. Right. So uh, and especially like uh, like you said, November's and and dark winters and 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 long nights. Right. So uh, it was a sort of a place to get together. So we've used that effect quite a lot to sort of you know uh, get collaboration going. So uh, I'm not ashamed to say getting. One of the most effective ways to solve cross-governmental challenges is to organise a, a, a sauna, basically a workshop with a sauna event. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when people really open up and you really sort of you know talk through what's what's going on, why is not stuff happening, or what's the challenge and so forth. So there you go, that's the sauna thing for us, I guess.
0: I did um, I did read though that you had said somewhere that uh, also in the the on the vein of uh, collaboration that if you come up with a business idea. That, uh, you know, while you're having a meeting in your sauna or sauna, <laughs> uh, yes. that you should be able to register the business and go through payroll and do all those services uh, on your device in the, the that, sauna. <laughs>
2: that's, the, that's the thing or anywhere for that matter, right? Yes. So And, and, that's, and look, look, I mean, that's what, in a way, one of the things that digital services allow for us, right? So one, one thing obviously is all this sort of accessibility and sort of, you know, convenience that it brings, right? You can be anywhere, even in a sauna and you get your stuff done immediately. But I think also it's this acceleration, right? So just the fact that, look, I have, I had this great new business idea. Immediately I have it up and running. So, uh, so this accelerates a lot of the, just, just like, like innovation and, and, and trialing and, and, and of things, um, in estonia we have been so very lucky and blessed to have an awesome uh, startup ecosystem build up and and obviously a lot of the reasons for that are different but one of the contributing factors has been exactly that it's easy to set up things it's easy to run companies it's easy to do stuff and that facilitates growth in the end uh, just like you know randall was giving an example you know in terms of just you know even the savings that it can bring you but i want to just just throw in one more thing um Randall, you're right. So mortgage has become digital. <laughs> or let's say this is buying a house and selling a house can happen digitally. And why that's the COVID for you? Because uh, again, I mean, so even even we had this a bit of let's say next few accelerations from that. And obviously I mean, you know, keen admirer and uh, I guess sort of you know shameless uh, distributor of all the good stuff you've been doing in and you were doing in, in in detail in Australia with COVID stuff. So I think it's been great to see how much Australia has really accelerated from that. Not all governments did.
0: Right. So that is interesting, actually. So, uh, Randall, the work that Australia's been doing in COVID and uh, digital service delivery, uh, as Sim is saying, is uh, leading many countries. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing?
1: And So during the um, height of the pandemic, I think every country was... Um, dealing with uh, lots of fires and it was about survival and ensuring that um, the the local communities were protected but also that as businesses were impacted and people were unable to work that there was the appropriate supports that were able to get to people and uh, information was a very important um, aspect of the response in the height of the pandemic, in making sure that uh, people were able to get the facts that they needed in an integrated um, way. And I think the pandemic for Australia really brought the best out in government. And it demonstrated that we can be fast, we can uh, be creative, uh, and we can uh, deliver outcomes that are absolutely centred on what the customer needs. And I think during the, um, the height of the pandemic and as we're now starting to think about recovery, reopening, rebuilding, preserving those behaviours, which was singular purpose, um, taking informed risks, um, not um, uh, being held to um, complex hierarchies, we simply focused on the problem. We looked at options, and we delivered outcomes. And we're doing more and more of that. I think um, post-pandemic, maintaining that is going to be something that will uh, need to be tested over time. Yeah. I think the signs are positive, though, that we are seeing uh, many examples of where we're being much more, um, much more nimble, much more creative, much more customer-focused, and continuing that momentum is going to be important.
0: So what were some of the specific things that that the Australian government did in the COVID response that that people might be familiar with, with just their everyday life?
1: Yeah, so um, a a couple of really good examples relate to uh, information products. So we worked on a platform, Australia.gov.au, which we... Repurposed to provide uh, COVID nineteen related information. I remember information.
0: that. I remember looking at that uh, as a just a layperson thinking, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? And going to that very site.
1: And as the community was worried about what um, symptoms they needed to uh, be aware of uh, and what treatment and testing options were available, um, where outbreaks were occurring, occurring, what supports they might have access to. We very rapidly brought that together into um, an integrated information source across government. Um, We stood up the first iteration of that in 24 hours. Unheard of. We brought together um, public officials, ministerial officers, the private sector, We did twice daily stand-ups, start and end of each day. We delivered increments in multiple releases per day following. And we were able to deliver a number of other channels for those who didn't have access to web-based services with information channels via WhatsApp. We developed um, uh, an app that provided information and we also supported the contact tracing efforts and the other work that was going on across other government agencies to ensure that they had consistent content and uh, that was delivered in a timely fashion. So there were a whole, whole bunch of products that we delivered in those first few months of the pandemic that would have ordinarily taken years, Mm. um, if we had abused traditional methods and governance.
0: I guess it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that it's uh, a little bit similar in some ways to, uh, as Sim was saying, when uh, Estonia was starting essentially as a new country and starting from the ground up and just had to ramp it up very quickly. In this case, Australia was, you you know, we hate using the word unprecedented, but it was the first time we'd ever had to do anything like this. So you did have the similar kind of Uh, Imperative to just get cracking.
1: I think we had uh, a few examples of where we had um, done similar things in either um, natural disaster responses with bushfires and floods, uh, where we demonstrated for a short period of time that we could come together, and, and it's incredible what a crisis does for. Um, your yeah. focus and uh, your desire to get to an outcome. And so I think we'd had a couple of test runs leading up to the pandemic, but the pandemic was unprecedented in that it was broad, it impacted all of the community, yeah. and it's been very long running through multiple phases. So um, it, it has um, been shown before that we can do uh, these these responses to crises and come up with very effective solutions. But this has required a very different and very sustained effort. And as we're thinking about reopening and we're thinking about the recovery and um, uh, collaborating with other countries, we're needing to think about how we sit in a global uh, environment. And digital will be important to that as we think about how we recognise vaccination uh, records between countries as we fly with uh, um, uh, the the first steps that we're taking uh, in our local region. And I know in Europe there's been uh, a much broader reopening, but w- we're going to need to deal with that and it will be a sustained response that we'll need to provide.
0: Yes, that's very interesting because we are, as you say, um, we are now at that stage of reopening. Uh, Sim, uh, you're obviously sort of a little bit further ahead being part of Europe. Um, what lessons have you learned, or you know Estonia, Estonia learned from the the pandemic, and in terms of uh, digital government service delivery?
2: There's a few things that 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 I have distilled, at least for myself, in a way. First of all, we really saw from our experience and elsewhere as well that it pays to be digital. So, um, so let's say when we had to switch real almost overnight to remote work remote study remote government i mean everything right it wasn't that big of a deal because everything had been digitally available anyway so i mean any, everything was basically operating remotely anyway in essence uh, and so i mean it, it shows you that the resilience or you know you get from from situations like that but secondly um, just like randall is saying it, it really showed that even if um, there have been blockers along the digital way before, there is a different way and, and way around them. And I think Brandon and I have had this conversation a few times and also publicly, but I think the key now is to say that how can we make that experience stick? So, you know, even I guess in the, in the audience of today sort of chat, right? So whoever sort of, you know, had the exposure that, hey, it actually can be done. Know, make it last <laughs> and sort of take that experience and really sort of build it in now and sort of you know not let go in a way so what i'm just trying to get this to say that covid it's awesome how it accelerated some things uh, but it's now really the daily job to to make sure this sort of it stays and, and it's not for granted necessarily because the old habits can kick in easily right my third thing that i would bring out and that's a very sort of estonian thing in a way is to say that mm, we use it also as a chance to really take a few things from the drawer and had been to basically, you know, somehow cooked up and really put to practice. So, you know, mortgages was a thing here. So, or, or let's say buying a house and selling a house, essentially it was technologically ready for some time, but that was just, again, the resistance from the take-up part. Or another example was, let's say, remote visits to a doctor. Again, technology had been piloted, tried, tested, but the incentives in the health system were against that now suddenly all visits were not happening anyway so doctors had an immediate incentive to start accepting also a remote option and so we did a few policy tweaks, and now they're there to stay so this is my point of saying that what we really learned also is that um it's hard to do but sometimes you might do exploratory work that will become handy in the future and 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 if we then can manage to put sudden windows of opportunity use, then, uh, you know, that's a way to accelerate. I think Randall has quite a few examples of the same that where work previously done led to the chance of being, you know, fast adopted, right? So whether it was an identity or, uh, or publishing platforms or whatever. And my fourth thing, what we really sort of saw from, from our experience, and to add a bit of, let's a grain of salt as well, is that fundamental issue that I think many of us governments have, and we definitely have in Estonia, is that the the maturity and the capabilities uneven. That is why, by the way, I mean, I admire the, the work you do on digital profession in Australia. <laughs> so the capacity is uneven, which means that the the even in our case, even if stuff is available digitally, that doesn't mean it's always the best. It's always the most user centric or even, let's say, always the well thought out. And what I'm trying to get to as a point of example is that we completely failed, for example, with uh, COVID uh, vaccination registration. So, you know, for people to sign up to get cuts in the arm. Uh, Why? Because it wasn't a failure of technology necessarily or that much. It was rather a failure that the whole service or the process behind was so poorly thought through. And why? Because of the capacity issues and stuff like that. So, you know, it really brought home, I hope, also by a few then sort of in later examples that we really need to up the game in areas where, you know, the, the maturity or that capacity is not there.
0: That's so interesting. So in Estonia, the uh, COVID vaccination certificates didn't didn't work out as you'd hoped. Uh, here we we are going pretty well on that. Um, but the other thing that I just wanted to go back and I'd love to get your reflections on about making it stick. Uh, obviously, it is very important that we don't you know go backwards. But what is it exactly that uh, we can do to encourage uh, things to stick and not not to have outdated modes or institutions go back to sort of lazy old unproductive ways. Uh, and it might be industry-related, profession-related, um, just legacies. Uh, Randall, maybe if I could ask you about that.
1: There are some things that just make sense. Uh, Sim mentioned um, uh, visits to the doctor which are uh, provided virtually, so telehealth, Mm. Um, the access that that provides to the community where there may not have been the potential for individuals to see health professionals in areas where there may be a scarcity of um, uh, skills, that makes sense and that is continuing. I know um, uh, my daughters have uh, done virtual visits with their doctors recently even where we haven't been in a period of lockdown because it makes sense, it's efficient and the technology environment is such that it, it is reliable uh, and people trust the um, uh, the service. So I think there are things in relation to that that virtual engagement mm. that will remain. And I think um, also seem mentioned the the, the virtual uh, working and I think we'll see for, Um, years to come, the combination of physical and virtual work arrangements. Now, nothing beats um, uh, being able to shake somebody's hand or look across the table at somebody, but there is that opportunity to be much more inclusive through providing opportunities to work virtually. And I know from our perspective with skills, uh, we have a very small task force, but we have people spread around the country that we're able to bring in and they are effective members of the team because we've rethought what it means to be a team member and we have rituals that allow us to engage virtually and maintain that that contact that we wouldn't have previously undertaken.
0: So that's really interesting. So you're, um, that's one of the, the things that you've sort of taken from your former role as CEO of the Digital Transformation Agency to your new role as head of the Simplified Trade System Task Force. Uh, So what else have you learnt and and, how are you applying that now that we're pivoting from sort of an inward facing period over the last 18 months to looking back out to the rest of the world?
1: The concepts are very similar. So if I think to a whole of government digital role, and a whole of government trade role, the concepts of collaboration, sharing, um, digitisation, simplification, automation, these are these are common. And so, if you think to um, uh, the cross border trade environment during the pandemic, um, people have had lots more money to spend um, because they haven't been travelling and going out as much, and so. Trade has actually been vibrant in an Australian context. In fact, globally, um, uh, trade has has um, uh, tested the bounds of, of infrastructure capacity. So freight capacity mm. is not sufficient to um, scale up to the level as quickly as what we've seen with the pandemic. But as we um, start to conceive of what the future cross-border trade environment might look like, Uh, we're applying all of those concepts that we'd thought about in the whole of government digital realm so we need uh, to be user-centric such that we understand the actual experience of uh, people that engage in cross-border trade we need to understand um, the rules that exist we need to understand the systems that support that we need to understand the investments that are being made and then based on the areas where uh, investment can have the greatest impact we can provide advice to government as to where they might target that to offer a a good return and so conceptually it's exactly the same uh, as what we were doing in the whole of government digital the slight variation is we're um, looking at both regulations as well as digital and ICT systems so we're looking at simplifying the rules and Making uh, services more joined up from a, uh, an end user perspective, and to the point earlier about not simply making digital copies of paper based forms, we are absolutely moving to um, a, a place where it's a tell us once integrated environment that uh, provides the kind of service that people would expect in a in a more contemporary um, uh, environment.
0: So, an easy job then to get that all done. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, SEAM Seem has, has um, uh, faced these challenges as well in that it, it is um, a, a type of role where you're often in other people's business. Mm. Uh, uh, you do, do need to draw on their experience, but you do also need to think across the entire ecosystem. And so the end-to-end um, business experience or end-user mm. experience Um, As the focus is very different than an agency by agency or portfolio by portfolio view because uh, they're focused on the services that they provide where we're very much focused on how do goods move from A to B uh, and how do we interoperate with our partners.
0: Mm, very complex. <laughs> and Seem, what's uh, what's your observations on that? And what do you think the challenges are for uh, 2020, well, the rest of 2021, 2022, and beyond? And, uh, you know, back to the, the question of making it stick and pushing it forward.
2: I still go back to the point that I highlighted that the capability or the capacity part is so crucial, right? And um, if I speak really from Estonian and my own work perspective, then for us to challenge it, so how do we change that game and how do we really get to other people's business, like Randall said, in that game too? The context in our case is that there is no whole of government uh, training or professional um, development path or anything like that, right? So we've been thinking, okay, how do we sort of how do we build some of that space starting or at least for uh digital competencies and and, and, and area in a way. Um so I think from if you ask me or if you ask friend or let's say our peers, our business is basically a whole of government view. And so how I was friendly is that how do we lift all the boats? And, and that's the, that's the sort of ongoing challenge. So, you know, whether it's capacity building, whether it's basically somehow defining what good looks like. So that's where the sort of, you know, things like service standards and sort of other sort of requirements come in. Um, so the challenge has not changed. You know, the particular elements of that will be different from here. The fundamentally it's the same game for us. How do we help others? How do we lift all those boats up and higher, um, our focus in Estonia just to really be sharp, be sharper in my response capability and capacity stuff. Uh, secondly, and, and especially for getting executives and getting people who are supposed to be service owners up to their game in terms of understanding how digital can help them and drive some of this, you know, practices of how to deliver on this, the fundamental differentiator, I think, within governments and between governments is uh, delivery capacity and managing for delivery. And that's an ongoing struggle as people change and stuff like that.
0: So that's a very good segue then to uh, Randall as head of the digital profession. Uh, This is one of, you know, the big imperatives for the Australian public service uh, is getting that capability and upskilling. So, could I just ask you to share some of your reflections on that and how uh, digital professions, if either in Australia or in Estonia, what the role is for them to help uh, transform a, a nation digitally?
1: Um, so I think that, that coordinated approach at a national level is really important. Um, and, and this isn't just government, it's... Um, Uh, education providers and industry associations um, and industry for that matter as well to help uh, lift capability. And we've been dealing with a period during COVID where there hasn't been physical movement of people between countries as it would ordinarily um, have occurred. So our capacity to draw in skilled migrants, our capacity to offer Um, uh, opportunities for international students has has not been there for a couple of years. So we've really focused on ensuring that we understand the capability that currently exists in the Australian government as um, our first uh, focus area. Then looking at what we need based on the strategic planning that we're doing across government. And then the secret sauce is working out how we move from where we are to where we need to be and provide visibility of that to the people who are currently either currently working within government or would like to be working within government. And so we've been um, building many foundations that are going to stand us in good stead in the long term as we're uh, progressively expanding um, our programs, skills frameworks to ensure that we understand what skills make up what roles. Uh, that we have the capacity to offer training and development that's targeted to uh, the skills uplift that we need for individuals, that we have membership platforms that allow visibility of um, both uh, skills and in individuals and opportunities that might exist and allow them to do matching communities of practice, support programs, mentoring, gender-based programs because in digital Uh, There is a significant gender imbalance where we simply don't have enough females globally in uh, uh, STEM, digital and ICT roles Um, and then embedding this within the practices such that uh, we have recruitment and uh, talent attraction programs that get the best and brightest and match them to the right kinds of roles in the areas of greatest need.
0: So that's really interesting. Um, You mentioned earlier about, uh, I think both of you were talking about, uh, you know, part of the efficiency is to build in uh, more, well, efficient systems, but also automation of decision making. Now, whenever there's a discussion about the future of work, there's always the thing like, a robot's going to take my job. But you've mentioned all the things about, you know, we need people with particular skills in the digital profession. Can you both of you, reflect on specifically if you're talking to, say, someone who's just sat there year 12 exams last week, uh, end of high school, like what are those particular skills that are really like just crying out for people at the moment? Sim, would you like to?
2: Well, first of all, I want to just briefly add my view on the robots taking our jobs. <laughs> So i always try to sort of tell it to people and and with some ex- examples that uh, think about it this way, it's that all those robots will actually make my job more fun for me and more <laughs> interesting for me. So this the point is that so especially with today's or let's say next few years of uh, technological development level, we are not talking here about you know any sort of super machines and super intelligent stuff, right? We're talking about here that uh, finally, computers, programs, bots, whatever. Can solve some of the remaining tedious stuff we are supposed to do still, like uh, you know, just you know, even the fact that I mean, we used to have just last year people typing up court proceedings and parliamentary hearings, uh, you know, the silliest job possible. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but something that our phones can literally do with technology-wise today, right? Our challenge was that we had to make it possible in Estonian language, okay. But, but my point being, so, but these people now are liberated. And, uh, you know, to do something that's much more sort of you know, stimulating, valuable for them. And I think that's, this sort of narrative has to be realist. sort of always explained the book there as well. Now, from digital, let's say, uh, skills point of view, we have defined and not originally, but, but still, um, let's say five clusters of, of what we can call competences as we think that uh, every civil servant and especially the executive should have, and they revolve around, like I said, not originally. Well, first of all, understanding you know where is technology heading and what can it do. So some sort of just basic appreciation of that. Secondly, everything around um, you know service design with digital. So so starting from core even non-digital con- concepts of yeah how to do a good service and then provide a good service and then you know how digital can help for that all the way to just like Reynolds said, reusing data and, you know, uh, principles of one Sony and what have you. A uh, third, data literacy, just, and, 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 and again, an appreciation of how from data I can derive insights that I would be asking more questions. So that's basically where we try to get to. Uh, fourth thing is everything around uh, information security and cybersecurity, because we see that, um, you know, that's a big element of trust and it really starts, from um, you know the element that is between the chair and the device so it's the cyber hygiene of us that that's where all the cyber I mean all the big incidents literally start from somewhere doing something foolishly very simple things and the fifth thing is um, a bit more complex but we try to really tell and have people understand how our digital government works? What's the architecture setup? What are the principles supposed to be built in, so that they can, you know, tap into that and plug into that more?
0: That's really fantastic. Uh, and Randall, do you have anything to add on on that? It sounds fairly similar to Australia.
1: It is most definitely.
0: Yes, and you also mentioned um, just quickly invisible government services. Now I understand this is the next big stage of digital government, and you mentioned before Medicare cards swiping, the money goes into your bank account, what else can we expect to see from the transformation of digital government uh, from 2022 onwards, uh, Randall?
1: So I think it will be more of um, uh, an integrated experience, Um, and I was reading, Seem, about the passport renewal process in Estonia, which I think is a fantastic example um, the Estonian government knows about you. It knows um, when your passport's about to expire. It reminds you six months out that it's about to expire. And when it does, it pre-fills the form for you with everything that uh, the government already knows about you and says, send us a new photo. Oh, that, sounds that is good. <laughs> um, you know, a helpful, simple, respectful service, which is really where um, we're aiming to um, emulate that type of service here in Australia, where government gets out of the way when it shouldn't be in the way. It stands in the way when it should and it is as helpful as it can possibly be in um, recognising information that's been previously provided and only asking for more when it's completely necessary to complete the service transaction.
0: Well, it sounds that sounds good with the, the passport example. It's a compl- <laughs> bit of a nightmare to do it in the old days, isn't it? And, well, Sim, what would you suggest 2022 and beyond?
2: I have to be in a fully blunt here. I think I've sold it too well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's exactly how we're trying to build it still. We are, we are let's say, halfway through that, Randall. Yeah. I uh, like that. But so that the reminders are there. And so, sort of, let's say, the pre filled part is there as you log in. But we still haven't gotten to the point where we literally just prompt you and ask you. But that's exactly what we want to do. Yeah. So, we want to reduce the need for you to come to us. And so not to make stuff invisible but being more proactive, more um, for the lack of a better word, preventive in a way. So just like the passport example that, yeah, why do we wait for you to turn to us with a passport application? So, um, you know, we could exactly prompt you instead ourselves with a bit more than just a reminder, right? Or another example that I just really like to give and we are really building this out now is to say that if a child is born. Then why do we wait for you to come to ask to name the baby? So basically basically you're coming to us saying, government, can I please name the baby scene?" <laughs> <laughs> or you know, government, can I please have my money now or that you know I'm entitled to?" Well, actually we, we can turn the other way around and say, well, we can send you an email because the doctor has made an entry to population registry in you know, Estonia. Basically, the kid exists. The digital health record starts. digital life starts. From that, we don't even need any big big data or AI we can shoot an email back to the parent and say, hey, thank you for the new citizen, congrats. <laughs> and we ask you, what is the name? And we ask you what account you want the money to be sent to. We even actually know that account probably. So turning it around, really making the experience to be about sort of more helpful and taking all the sort of the need to interact away uh, is a thing. I often get asked about this. So I mean, would it, be, would it turn us into a nanny state of sorts, and 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 I mean to that I was I myself have had a simple example. So I said, look, do you really want to spend your life talking to the bureaucracy, or you know just engaging with bureaucracy, or you rather want to you know be helped if you really need help and to use the stuff for all the other things like trade? <laughs> so uh, I'm joking. So uh, so that sort of that that's our motivation behind us to say to really unleash time and and effort from where it where it shouldn't be, and. My last bit about this is so what we're trying to do in Estonia is is also to add to that a bit of, you know, next stage technology in a way. So uh, we are really big, making a bet that virtual assistants in our phones, fridge, car, whatever, will be the interface, uh, the next interface. So while we're working, we're trying to be early that to say that all of government information, all these invisible services should be available through virtual assistants as opposed to website app and whatever. And so the point being that, uh, look, if, if your passport renewal is due, it's the Siri or whatever phone you're having, right, uh, prompts you up and says, hey, Seam, do you do you want a new passport? So, again, proactive, but through different channels, even much more, again, convenient to use than whatever good thumb work we do.
1: Yeah, and um, the the similarities, again, are, are striking in that the personalized services, the proactive services, just as Seam's been talking about, is exactly the strategy that we have for MyGov services, such mm. that. Um, based people life are life events. Notified, yeah. yeah, based on particular life events. And there's proactive notification, investment in bots, um, also in providing that support uh, that is personalised and context sensitive, and having a combination of um, unauthenticated, which is I'd just like to know what um, services I have available to me as a business. Um, and then personalized once you've authenticated yourself to say uh, here are the specific services that you would be eligible for based on your specific context
0: hmm. well it's just it's fascinating to think about what it's going to be like in even another five years but uh,
1: uh, and there is one one point before we um, uh, wrap up hmm. and that, that just relates to um, the uh, the implication of being heavily reliant on digital services in providing um, uh, government services, and that is the the security and resilience of those services, and Seem mentioned it from the point of view of the data embassy, but as we become more reliant on technology, the more important that it is there because if there is no other option other than technology because we don't have swarms of people sitting to wait answer and answer the phone um, or take that form that you filled in, it is absolutely critical that we invest in ensuring that we have reliable, scalable and secure services. So that's another big focus area for the Australian government and I know it is for um, Estonia and, and most countries around the world.
0: Mm making sure it's there when we need it.
1: The critical infrastructure, um, uh, government services, uh, the, the risk associated with those services not being there um, is a very different conversation than it would have been even a decade ago.
0: Mm. Okay. But well, look, that's just absolutely fascinating and uh, I'm sure we could talk for a few more hours, uh, but we will have to wrap up. So, um, Randall and Sim, thank you so much for your time. Uh, And to Sim and our Estonian listeners, Hedega, that means goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank
0: you. You've been listening to the Digital Professions Insights Podcast. Find the Digital Insights Podcast on all major podcast services. Stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn or Facebook. And, of course, if you haven't done so yet, join the profession today. You'll get access to exclusive learning opportunities, accreditation of your skills and the chance to connect with peers across government. Visit digitalprofession.gov.au for more information. See you next time.